things are still very different, aren't they? We're still not able to meet together, to worship together, to share together as one larger congregation. I don't know about you, but I'm getting slightly fed up with it all, if I'm honest. I don't know whether you have found yourself, like I have, extensively using WhatsApp, Zoom, Microsoft Teams for different parts of your life. It's become so much more the new normal, really. And it may be even you, like me, find yourself looking at what's behind someone when they're speaking. Now, I haven't set this up deliberately. I started uh, by trying to record downstairs and then it got a little bit busy downstairs. Downstairs had quite a bland background. So I'm upstairs in the spare room. And you don't need to worry too much. I'm not going to be too long because it's freezing in here. I mean, it's really cold. So I've got an old field radiator that I've just turned on and I've actually got a hot water bottle uh, as well. Uh, that kind of happens when you get to my age. But, you know, if you look around, you begin to look to see what it is that people surround themselves with within their life. And it tells you a certain amount about them. For us, if you look this side, what you'll see actually is that there are Christmas presents that have been unopened. Christmas because it was so very different this year, because for those of our grandchildren who are up in Liverpool, we haven't seen them since last August. And the Christmas presents that you see here, friends of friends of theirs up there, if that makes sense, are a little bit too big to send. So they sit here until a new normal brings Christmas possibly in July. Now, we're not American, but in America they do celebrate Christmas in July. So we're looking forward to that, to that new hope of a wind of change on the horizon. Yes, I am saying that what we surround ourselves with begins to speak volumes about who and what we are. So I found myself clearing the top of the wardrobe behind me. You'll see that there's a guitar in its case. That doesn't mean to say I can play a guitar. I have tried to learn. And it's one of those things that my wife Jill keeps telling me I just need to get rid of because it's cluttering the room and you never play it. I wouldn't say never, but I rarely do. You know, last week... Um, I did go on not just to listen to the message of last week, but also the week before. So yes, I've seen Brian wandering the streets, somebody filming him as he goes. I've seen him in his relaxed pose uh, against the backdrop of a stage in your church with a drum kit. Because you see, I went online. I've only visited your church very briefly at Brian's ordination. So I don't know many of you. And I think it is important that I try to get a feel for where you are as a church and to bring something that is relevant and timely. Of course, I've been given a great leg up because I've been given the subject to talk to you about this um, today, this week. And I've also been given the passage from which to speak on. So that's good news. But let me just reflect only a moment as we look back on some of the things that Brian was saying last week. Are you seeing the signs and the wonders of God? Are you embedded in the life of Christ? Are you being obedient in allowing yourself to be used for the outworking of the signs and the wonders of God? Now, he was possibly referring to the unconventional. 
things perhaps which caused you to sit up and listen because he was talking, wasn't he, about when he was out in Africa and he was praying for somebody who was clearly having the experience of God that Brian knew that he had no control over and simply wasn't feeling himself as they were shaking and on the ground. Let me start with an encouragement. I want to encourage you at Breton because your digital footprint, as we might call it, is really very good. Yes, I have been on and I've looked at your website. Yes, I've been and I've listened on your digital platform, whatever you might want to call it, so that I've been able to listen when I want to listen to the two messages of the last two weeks. And I have to say, genuinely, you're doing a really good, good job. It's a good work that you're doing there at Breton within the current restrictions that we find ourselves in at the moment. I don't want to be speaking to you across a camera on a pre-recorded message. I believe, I feel, I enjoy much more uh, being able to speak in front of people, to allow the spirit to guide me, to draw even from the reactions of the people at the time. I often find it's the platform from which I can launch myself, as it were, out in faith and allow God to really take me where he wants to take me for his glory in speaking to other people. Wow. So I want to set the scene just for a moment and start with an encouragement for us to focus our hearts and our minds on that which he wants to share with us this week. Let's pause for a moment. This coming from 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18 that we perhaps know very well, but just think on this for a moment. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's fix our eyes then, not on what is seen, but that's temporary, but on that which is unseen, for that is eternal. Let's have the reading. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to the up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of money changes money changes and overturn their tables to those who sold doves he said get these out of here stop turning my father's house into a market his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for how for, for your house will consume me the jews when then respond the jews then responded to him what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus, Jesus answered to them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and how are you going to raise it in three days? 
But the temple he had spoken of was his body after he was raised from the dead. His disciples recalled that, that what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jer Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs of he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not in entrust him to self to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in the in each person. This account comes in the second chapter of John, shortly after uh, the account that you looked at last week, where Jesus turns the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Jesus and his disciples, we're told here, have travelled up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. It was necessary that they made that journey alongside many thousands of others from such a wide spread area so that they could offer their sacrifices to God the Father. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Don't sacrifice the Passover in any of the towns that God, your God, has given to you other than the one that God, your God, designates for worship. There and only there will you offer the sacrifice. So it was then that they travelled up to Jerusalem alongside so many other people. When they got there, they found the sacred city of God overflowing not only with pilgrims, but there in the outer courts of the temple where all the people had come to offer their sacrifices. It was filled with all sorts of animals and those waiting to be sold for sacrifice, the money changers to enable various currencies to be exchanged or to purchase goods of value so that they could then purchase the sacrifices. What Jesus found was not the place of reverence and worship to God his Father, but something so abhorrent that he had to act. And act he did, and did so spontaneously. Let's watch the YouTube video account of that. It was almost time for the Passover festival, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. found people selling cattle, sheep, and pigeons, and also the money changers sitting at their tables.
whip from cords and drove all the animals out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. overturned the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins. And he ordered those who sold pigeons Take them out of here! Stop making my father's house a marketplace! His disciples remembered that the scripture says my devotion to your house, O God, burns in me like a fire. The Jewish authorities came back at him with a question. What miracle can you perform to show us that you have the right to do this? Tear down this temple, and in three days I will build it again. Are you going to build it again in three days? It has taken 46 years to build this temple. But the temple Jesus was speaking about was his body. So when he was raised from death, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and what Jesus had said. Well, it is, of course, only an interpretation, and it may be one that we're not particularly comfortable with, but it is what it is. And how accurate or otherwise, it is difficult to see how Jesus could possibly have cleared that courtyard there up at the temple without doing so with some level of energy and passion and anger. You see, they just wouldn't have taken any notice of him. So what are its relevance for us today? What does God, by his Spirit, want to say to us now, here, today? I know that many of you will have heard this passage spoken about, preached, and even prayed through on a number of occasions. It's certainly an account of extremities. It went from a temple to a market and seedy money exchange possibly even like many of those high-interest loan sharks that we find so prevalent in society today, with their inflated festival prices. On the face of it, it seems to make sense. Providing a service to avoid people needing to transport their animals far across the country, as difficult as that would be, so that they can enable them to purchase them at the point of sacrifice. Well, this was also the beginning of an indication of what was to come within Jesus's ministry. His ability to um, be radical, to do things out on the extremity as a part of his ministry, to do things beyond, if you like, normal uh, interpreted behaviour as would be expected of him. It cuts across so many different boundaries. His abhorrence for religion 
in that it didn't bring people close into the house of God, that it didn't bring people into the very heart of God, his abhorrence for it, in that it didn't meet their needs, was the beginning of what was to come in his ministry. They had turned the house of prayer pretty much into a den of robbers in all that they were doing on the outside there. And he drove them out. He drove them out with a righteous anger that was not self-centred. You see, they'd left no space for the needy to come to God in it all. The worship of God's people was so out of line with God's purposes that Jesus just not could not tolerate it or allow it. It had to stop. It says this in Jeremiah 7 verses 3 onwards. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go out after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. We need to provide space for the needy, for the sick, for the sojourners to come to him. It says this in Psalm 24 verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. It is from this place that we sometimes can find that righteous anger almost, that indignation at some of the things that we see around us. But it cannot be self-centred. It cannot have that selfish interest at its heart. It cannot focus on us, but so much more upon God and what he wants to do in us and through us and by us. We need to stand up against injustice in our expression of ultimate worship. You know, it's interesting. Recently, we were challenged through the as a church um, that I go to, we were challenged by the Black Lives Matter protests to reflect and to review our policies and our procedures, to have a look as how we, as a multinational, multicultural, multiracial church, how we conduct our business. Not about what's on paper, but we began to look and to examine and rightly challenge who's leading and in what areas and with what opportunities are we giving to people? Who are we mentoring? Who are we fostering? And how representative is that of the cross-cultural, multicultural church that we are? 
You see, we realised that just in this one small part of it, we were way off the mark when it came to diversity and inclusion. Now I know that we've made some immediate changes and some we can continue to develop over time. We're tearing down the old ways, as it were, and we've reflected and we've renewed and we've been challenged and subsequently we've changed. You know, the chief priests, the Jews and teachers of the law were understandably indignant. Maybe it was because of their inaction. Maybe they were complicit or just compliant. Possibly they just had lost their way somewhat, but they very much became a part of the corruption. So it was that they came to him and they said to Jesus, on whose authority are you doing this? What sign can you show us to prove that you have that authority? Jesus answered, didn't he? And said, destroy this temple and again I will raise it in three days. But he said, look, it's taken 46 years to build this and you're talking about raising it again in three days. And of course he was talking about his own body, his own temple. He was talking about being resurrected again after three days after he had been put to death. We know that this scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken caused the disciples to recall that later, much later. Can I ask you something? What really winds you up? What really gets under your skin? What if I were to be a fly on the wall in your house? Or you can come and be a fly on the wall in my house, maybe. What about if our life was blazoned across, opened right up for everybody to see? What behaviours would trigger certain reactions that perhaps you would not be so very comfortable for us to see? And I speak so much to myself. You know, this is not a license to act as we want to. I was reflecting uh, last week's shocking news, uh, last week, which will be two weeks by the time that you get to hear this message, of Trump's uh, rally before the storming of the Capitol buildings where the Senate was sitting. And you know, Trump has still not conceded. He believes that the election was subject to extensive fraud despite, so we're told, uh, no evidence to support that. Whatever the immediate reactions that were stirred up at a part of that rally, and apparently stirred up by him as well, and you may well have heard some of those counts, gave good opportunity for unrighteous and extreme intentions and violence. It's somewhat shocking to think that the state of uh, the capital there could be overrun in a demonstration and so many questions that possibly need to be answered and will be over a period of time. And you know, even if it was true that that election was subject to significant fraud, it wouldn't have explained, nor would it have, or should it have allowed the behaviours that followed. We all watched as a violent crowd-led behaviour stormed that capitol building and ran amok inside. Watched as a group um, as they went in and they sought to uh, overcome and to overrun 
Five people lost their lives. How they lost their lives is yet to be made fully clear. But five people lost their lives. You know, that would be huge in this country if that were to happen. I watched at the rally as a part of this documentary. I was keenly picking up in the background. And again, uh, what we surround ourselves with often speaks volumes about our lives. As one of the people there at that demonstration was holding up a placard which simply said, Jesus saves. I watched, somewhat shocked, as inside the Capitol building, a group of up to maybe 10 people gathered round and linked arms and huddled their heads down in collective prayer together. And I found that hard, hard to understand how people could quite be so deceived. Righteous anger? I need to leave you to make your own mind up. But I know where I sat with it. As we think about how we lead our lives, it's righteousness. As we think about how we are called to action in our churches and in our communities, in our country, as we consider how we should pray for and support our leaders, even when they're making difficult decisions, even if they are decisions that we don't actually agree with, even if it's a government we would never have voted for. Dare we, dare we ever allow our own uh, feelings of selfishness or of pride get in the way of our actions in glorifying God and working for the church? It says this in Ephesians chapter 4, with a subject of unity and maturity in the body of Christ and instructions for Christian living, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Therefore, each of you must put off any falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are still members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let the devil have a foothold. Righteous integrity. Righteous spiritual integrity. Time to put out the rubbish. Aligning this with Jesus's account of clearing out of the temple. I want to ask you this. Is there any rubbish in your life? Well, I want to tell you that uh, recently my neighbour uh, gave me some um, boards, loft boards. He'd got some left over and uh, I uh, snapped them up really. Uh, I cleared out the loft. Boy, did I find some clutter up in the loft. I actually threw away things, including, believe it or not, a push-pull lawnmower, which had been up in that loft for 35 years. I moved in with them. They were still there. I'd never touched them. They'd never seen the light of day. I don't know about you in your personal life, whether you're a messy person or not, but I wonder if this is an opportunity for God to speak to you about some of the clutter within your life at the moment. See, it's not really about where you let your clothes fall and whether you leave them on the floor or not, men or otherwise. It's not really about how you squeeze the toothpaste. It's not really about whether you do or don't put the toilet seat down after you've used it. Again, men rather than women. It's much more than that. I've been challenged recently 
just in one circumstance of something uh, around my integrity at work. And I'm glad that I was challenged, glad that I was in a position to be able to put it right. But as we think about our integrity, as we lead our lives as Christians in our personal lives and within the church, have we got any clutter, anything that's getting in the way, anything that needs clearing out? Are we living our lives with a spiritual integrity in all that we do, giving our honour and our glory to God? Do our relational investments and our corporate gatherings as a church reflect even in a small way the very heart of God who gathers the outcasts, who reaches out to those that are sick, to the needy, to the poor, to the marginalised? To, the, to, to a point where we welcome them with open arms. That sometimes is a tough call. How do we establish our house of the Lord in the highest places, metaphorically and spiritually? When we assemble for our worship, you know, no one will set up the tables to exchange money here and there. We won't be finding ourselves leading in cattle and sheep and goats and pigeons in the hope of getting rich. But our decorations may be particularly elaborate. The way that we conduct ourselves, perhaps that's got a certain amount of pride still linked to it. I pray for myself and for you that God can cut right through that, bring us to a place in this new normality where we reach out in true love, in true grace, to those who really need him. Of course, it's right that our digital uh, footprint uh, is very professionally done. And I've already acknowledged that and you need to be praised in that sense. We share that. Uh, what a great job you're doing with that. Of course, our music needs to be professional. Of course, we will put a lot of energy into these things and we need to make it uh, engaging with people when we're seeking to reach out to them. But if Jesus were to come, and if he were to step into our churches this Sunday, would he find the lost, the sick, the needy, those sinners being met? Would he find that we are open to them, the socially marginalised, the misfits, the outcasts? This year, as I bring to a, draw to a close, has been a year of unprecedented, bruising, brutal, unrelenting change that's brought some insecurity that's come with it. We have a hope in Christ our Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. It's caused a lot of people to stand back and disengage from church. Now, as never before, as we continue to explore what church could, should and will look like post these difficult pandemic days, some people, of course, will say it'll never be the same again. Perhaps it is time to challenge some of those old ways. Perhaps it is time to clear out some of the rubbish. Perhaps it is time to be open to doing things in a new way, rather than just voting with our feet. Well, I don't like it being done that way, so I'm not going to give myself to it. Thank you very much. Let us be open to that which he is speaking to us that God wants to do within us individually, collectively, as a church, in our personal lives, in our churches, in our community, in our local area, within our country. 
the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and shall say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Amen.